Let's start new beginnings. Well, New Beginnings, as you saw in the little quick video, kind of a quick history of the church's beginning on 8th Street, Martin Luther King Boulevard. It was in the Jesus Movement in the 70s. I don't know if you were alive during the Jesus Movement, but I mean, people were hippies. They were wild. They were coming to Christ all across America, and a small church was birthed there. Guys moved out here to where we are today, and God has blessed us, and we're about to make another move to the old Gander Mountain building. Well, you say, well, how big is it going to be? Well, we got about 32,000 square feet here, here and at Powerhouse. Over there at 66,000. So it's going to give you some elbow room. It's going to give us a chance to, to bring some people that we've not even met yet. And I'm really excited about it. This week got good news from our civil engineer. He finished his plans. So we're one step closer. A couple more engineers say they are just about ready. And as soon as we get that, we go to the city for permits and off we go. But as Pastor Mike shared with you, we have been praying for the last oh, six weeks or so, asking us all, just to, if this is your church home, to pause and say, Lord, do you want me to invest in the church's future? Do you want me to do something over the next three years that can be a, a legacy, not just for my life today, but for people that I don't even know that they might have an encounter with God? Uh, how many people were actually here when this building was built? You were part of the church. I want you to lift your hand, and you're going to be shocked. Look, Raise your hand real high now. I see one, two, three, four, about five people in a room of probably 450 people were here when this church was built. Well, what does that mean? It means they either died and went to heaven or in a mobile society they have moved on. But what they did is they invested something so not only you and I could be here to worship the Lord today, but so we are, our children could be impacted by Christ. It is a spiritual legacy for generations to come. And that's why we're doing this. And at the end of my service today, again, you'll have an opportunity to be able to give towards this, to actually make a commitment. Um, there's cards in the back of your chair if you've forgotten to do this. And uh, I hope you will join me. First Chronicles chapter 29 is where I want to begin. It is a picture of the people of God, how we have always invested our resources in building a place to worship God. We help churches all over the world build churches, particularly in the third world. I, I love to help a congregation build a church. We built one not too long ago in Nepal. It was a group of Christians. It's a persecuted place. There are today, missiologists tell us, about 250 million Christians around the world that are being persecuted for their faith. Nepal is one such nation, but yet somehow they're still able to come together. It's just a, it, it kind of, it's built out of, part cement, part dirt, and part bricks. And they said, that's all we can do. Can you help us? So we help build the rest because people desire to have a place where they can come and worship God, where they can bring their friends to to experience him. Well, this happened in the Old Testament. First Chronicles 29 is a picture. Uh, King David was the one who got the resources. His son built it. But David said, I've used every resource at my command, and I've gathered as much as I could to build the temple of my God. And now because of my devotion to the temple, I'm giving all my private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. Now here's the question that he asked the people today, and I ask you as well, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? The family leaders in their day all gave willingly, and they rejoiced over the offerings because they'd given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. 
It's not to Church on the Rock. It's not to Pastor John. It is to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is for his glory and what he'll do for the literally multiplied thousands of people if Jesus tarries in the days ahead. Hey, I've got something really great to share with you. Um, we've had seven construction professionals that have been involved, involved for the number of months now, and either individuals or companies, but seven different ones have already committed that they're either going to do their work for cost or they're donating their services. Now, this is incredible. It amounts to $560,000. Now, come on, give the Lord a good hand for that. $560,000, seven different individuals, and nobody asked them. I didn't ask them. I didn't beg them, didn't offer them anything, didn't twist their arm. They just felt the Lord wanted them to do that. And I hope you'll feel that same feeling. Uh, I did find a, a kind of a senior contractor to, to help us. I mean, every project needs somebody that can use a hammer. I've got one for you. I, there's a little picture of him over here. He's just learning, but this is my grandson. Now, you're going to have to look hard there. His daddy is mounting a speaker in the wall, and he's on that chair. See if we got a bigger shot of him. You can see what he's got in his hand. Uh, he's got his hammer in his hand. And he's ready to go. Well, here's the really good news. He'll work for Cheerios and blueberries. So I, I don't know how much that's going to say, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Listen, let me shift towards my message today. We're, about, we're in the process of investing millions of dollars to help people we don't even know. Why in the world are we doing that? And I'll tell you it very simply. America is in trouble, and our only hope is through Jesus Christ and his church. Amen. Let me say it again. Our nation is sick. And the sickness in our nation is not a political sickness. It is a spiritual sickness. And her hope is not found in modern-day universities. America's hope is not going to be found in Hollywood. It will not be found in Washington. America's hope is found in Jesus Christ. Come on. It is found in a church built on the Bible, bringing three things. And this is what I'm going to talk to you about today. A church that brings truth to a confused world. A church that brings hope to people who are in darkness. And lastly, a church that brings the opportunity for a new beginning for people that are searching for God. I've entitled the message, Hope for America. And uh, I think it'll speak to you. I, I want to begin my message talking first about our nation. Because our nation is in trouble. It's almost so bad that I, I, there's a part of me that doesn't even want to read the news and read the new things that are happening in our culture. But if you would allow me just a moment or two to paint a picture to you, I want to give you four examples. There are 327 million people that call themselves Americans. 327 million, and many of us are headed in the right direction. The fact that I'm headed in the right direction is not me. It's because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But we are just following Jesus. We are here today because we believe in him, or at least you're curious about him. We are here today because we believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It is God's instruction manual to the world today. I bought a new weed eater the other day. My old one died, and, and, and they got it off the shelf, and I got to the truck, and I remembered, I don't have the instruction manual. And I went back in, and they found it, because invariably something will happen. Well, you'll need to find out from the manufacturer what's a better way to operate it, what's a better way to live this life, how do I fix it, how do I do this. That's what the Bible is to us today. And our nation has turned her back on the Bible as God's Word. Let me give you several examples of this. The first one... I'll, say, I'll just say it this way. People at the most basic level are confused about who they are. 
There's a term that we speak about today that even five years ago uh, was not even on the radar in America. It's about gender identity. It's about defining who you are. It's about accepting who you are as assigned in your birth or embracing a philosophy that said, I can be whoever I want to be and I can make it up as I go. Uh, I asked the gods of Google how many genders there are. Well, that's a joke, and you didn't even laugh, but that's okay. I asked the gods of Google, how many genders? And what do you think was the first thing that popped up? 112. I can't even wrap my arms around it. And I read some of the definitions, and I still can't wrap my arms around it. 112. The second one said 63. The third one said 58. But God, God's Word says there's two. See, this is... And I particularly want to appeal to you that are young today because you are being bombarded not only perhaps in your classrooms, you're being bombarded by stars in Hollywood, by political figures, by, by actors, movie actresses, by people that are in the music industry and they're trying to define truth and life and reality to you. And I want to suggest to you the starting place for understanding the big questions and issues of life is God's Word. And God's Word says in Genesis 1.27, God created human beings in His own image, male and female. He created them. Now, in church today, it's easy for us to say that there are two genders, and it's perhaps even a philosophical conversation. But I had this subject indelibly planted in my mind. I have a picture in my mind. I wish I could, not put, on, I wish I could put on the screen, but I can't. Last week we were, last, I guess it was, whenever it was, last Tuesday, we were in Rogers, Arkansas for the birth of our second grandchild, and he's doing great. Titus Ray says he loves everybody. But we went to a hotel the first night. Uh, kids needed some privacy, and as we went in the hotel, we're getting ready to check in, and in walks four 20-somethings, 20 20, early, early 20s. They're led by a young woman. She's tall. She's dressed like a prostitute. She's acting like one. And she's followed by three young men. I knew they were men as I stared at them, but it took me a moment because the more I looked at them, I understood the definition of gender confused. I, I looked at their hairdos. I looked at their fingernails. I, I looked at the appearance of their body, the clothes they wore. And I didn't in any way feel superior. I didn't feel like, well, I'm an old man and they're young people. My heart was breaking. My heart was breaking because I looked at a generation it's been told a lie. I looked, I, I looked at a generation that is trying to find happiness, that is trying to find purpose and meaning in life. I looked at what was most likely a generation that was not parented. I watched these kids. They had made a reservation at the hotel, and it was obvious what they were about to do, the four of them. But I, 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 they needed a, a, there was a credit card that was needed so they could guarantee the room, but nobody had a credit card. I watched one pull out a debit card, and that didn't work, and they couldn't find the cash between them to do it, so they walked away cursing, and my heart was breaking. Gender confusion. The medical community will tell you today it, it, it's a mistake to force this politically on children, but it's happening anyway. In California, I'm grateful I live in Texas. We have a lot of godly Christian teachers. A lot of this stuff is kept away, but the big textbook writers in America are California and Texas, and it, it, it perhaps follows. But the California State Board of Education 
insists that schools start discussing gender identity in kindergarten. And if children decide they might be transgender, the parents should not object or they'll be treated as a threat to their own child's well-being. And if America shifts away from a nation that was built on individual freedom to a nation that's built on greater government responsibility, more regulation, more socialist, if you will, or its older brother communism. There is a pull towards that in our nation today. And you, as you give up individual freedom, someone else rules and controls your life. And here's what happened, just happened in Canada. A human rights council in Canada uh, fined a Christian uh, $55,000 because he referred to a politician who was a biological male uh, he, who, who was transgendering or who was changing into a woman, and he referred to him as a man, and they slapped a $55,000 fine on him. That is one example of the absence of truth in a culture and how a godless society will begin to repress truth and individual opinion and certainly throw the Bible away. Here's another example. How about the mass shootings? Just a few days ago, Gilroy, California, there's a garlic festival. Somebody begins shooting. Dayton, Ohio, uh, uh, El Paso, Texas, they go into Walmart with a gun, a rifle, and before you know it, 34 people are in, innocent people are dead. They went in to shop. They went in to have some fun, and just like that, their lives were taken away. And the immediate chorus that we hear in America is what? Gun control. But at the same time, it's almost like we ignore what happened in big cities like Chicago. Last year alone, 530 people were murdered. I don't know how many, certainly it was over 3,000. I don't know how many that were shot, but that were murdered in that city, in a city that has some of the highest gun control restrictions in the world, but yet they can't control it, but somehow they want us to believe that the problem is give us a stronger government that can repress these urges in people. They're missing the problem. The problem is what Jesus said in the human heart. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 7. Jesus said it's from within. Out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, immorality, theft, and murder. It is from the heart of man. And the insanity is the very one that can change the heart of man, Jesus Christ, is, is, is not welcome in our culture today. Let me give you another illustration of America. It was a quote I read about a woman defending the right to have an abortion, and she defends aborting her babies by saying it's like getting rid of unwanted kittens. Mama cat had a litter of kittens. You don't want them. You put them in a bag. You put a couple bricks in it and throw it in the pond and problem solved. You're pregnant. You don't have a baby or you don't want a baby, but you forget Psalm 127. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. But somehow our society has lost its, its value for the innocent in the womb. All this heads to the role of broadly religion. But religion, Christianity, the Bible, Jesus that holds the answer, it's all under assault by a godless culture. Let me illustrate it. There was a realtor, a woman in, in Virginia, and the real estate board is investigating her and they're accusing her of violating fair housing laws. Now, what comes to your mind? Well, she wouldn't sell a house to a Mormon, or she wouldn't sell a house to a Muslim or a Hindu. Nothing like that. She put Jesus loves you on her email, and she put a Bible verse on her private website. 
And that was her crime. And a godless culture says, we don't want you or your God. So when I tell you today, America is spiritually sick, these are some of the symptoms that I'm telling you about. So what is the solution? Pastor, what, what is the solution here? The solution is Jesus Christ and his church. They are the only hope for America. And this is the why that we are, yeah, well, give the Lord a hand. Jesus and his church. I'll stand before you today when I was raised in church, gratefully, but when I got old enough to drive a car and do my own thing, off I went. And before I knew it, my friends were putting beer in my hands and other things to smoke in my hands. And I was saying, let's do it some more. And before I knew it, my life was headed this way. An A student was becoming a C student. Don't tell me you don't understand because I understand. I live in a culture. I understand dynamics today that I'm ashamed to talk about in the pulpit. But it pulls you into it. But Jesus pulled me out of it. Jesus pulled me out of it, and it was 43 years ago that he put me on a brand new path, and I'm a better person because of it. And this is what we want to talk about. These little shirts, I, I, I wanted to put it here, if you can show it a little uh, bigger. But new beginnings, more room, more people, more ministry, and greater impact. And it's this phrase, greater impact, is what I'm talking about, about the power to change people's lives. I want to read a little testimony to you, and I read it by permission uh, it's from a church member. Her name is Sarah, Sarah Richardson. But Sarah says, I've been coming to uh, Church on the Rock for almost a year. I hesitated to come because my youngest daughter, Emily, is autistic, and she's a screamer. Not many churches offer a special needs program. Um, someone told me that she used to go to a church. And how many know if you're a single mom and you've got a kid that's out of control through no fault of anybody's, not discipline, but there's something that's wrong, you need help. And it's not the fault of a church if a church doesn't have the capacity to be able to help them. You can care about people, but one church told her, You're not, you just don't need to come because we can't handle her. So she just stayed at home. See, my oldest daughter and I started coming first to Church on the Rock to check out the atmosphere, what it would be like for little Emily. She said, I was blown away at Kid Zone, and most of all, the love of Jesus is spread throughout the church. Everyone has accepted Emily for who she is, and in a world of pointing fingers and ugly looks... It's nice to have a place that I don't have to worry about how loud she gets or meltdown she may have. There's always someone there to help me and not judge me. There's literally a place for everyone here at Church on the Rock. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Now, that is no praise for me. I'm not doing it. I didn't, it's not my idea. I didn't start it. I couldn't lead it. But that's what more people, more room, more impact means that God brings people together that have burdens, that God brings people together that have skills, that God brings people together that have ideas. Uh, years ago, uh, 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 Hope Aubrey, she was a, uh, she's now Hope Aubrey. She was, a, she was a Hope Hope before that. And uh, she, she just had this idea to help people and started a ministry downtown. What was it called? Furnished by Faith. And she went to hustling. Before you know it, she's got somebody to give her a free warehouse. And then she starts collecting furniture all over town and everybody. And when people get their life to get right with the Lord, they get off drugs or they get out of prison or whatever, or a house burns down, she'd go in and furnish their whole house. Now, how many know that's Christianity in action? And she wouldn't do it in the name of hope. She'd do it in the name of Jesus. Well, see, this is the greater impact that I'm talking about today.
Let me give you three things that we offer this confused world. The first one is truth. If I were to say today in secular America that there is such a thing as absolute truth, that there are absolute things that are right and things that are wrong, I would be scoffed and mocked at. We live in a world today that has deified self to the degree that we're made to believe that we get to be in charge and make up the rules. We, it is the worship of self which is modern idolatry. And we have been placed in a position to where all we have to do is say, I'm offended and everybody bows at our feet. All we have to do is say, my rights are violated and everybody's bowed at our feet. And we think we're more than we are, but we come in conflict with God's word and we either push God's word away or we embrace it in our heart. America has turned her back on truth. Now I want you to listen to this scripture. It is, in my opinion, the most profound Old Testament scripture that describes America today. It is here describing Israel when she was away from God. But look at the parallels. We have driven away justice, and we have kept away from what is right. We've kept away from what is right. Chuck Colson, a number of years ago, he was, he was the bad guy with Nixon, and he had to go to jail a number of years. Well, he became a Christian, and he got out, and he started Christian programs in prisons. I believe it was Illinois where he had a, a program that when guys would come through it, they would, they would basically start over with Jesus. It was Bible-centered, and when they got out and went back in society, they had an extremely low rate of recidiv I can't, tongue -tied, recidivism of going back into prison after they got out. I mean, it was dramatically different. It, and I'm just going to draw numbers here. But it was like, it, without the program, it was like 70, 80%. And with the program, it was like 20%. And it was so amazing. But guess what? When someone challenged it because of its religious content, and it went all the way up the food chain, they said you can't do it anymore because separation of church and state. What does that mean? We care more about our ungodly agenda than we do about truly helping people find their way and their way back to God. We've kept away from what is right. Truth is not spoken in the streets. Now, at this point in time, there is a somewhat free Internet, and you can find truth there, but you can find a lot of trash and garbage. You can find a lot of things that are not truthful. What is honest is not allowed to even enter the city. Look at verse 15. Truth cannot be found anywhere. And people who refuse to do evil are attacked. Think of the woman, the realtor, who simply wanted to introduce people to a Savior. This is America today. We got off track. We turned our back on God's word. We said right is wrong and wrong is right. And we ended up in the mess we're in today. Studies have been done that cannot be questioned. And they looked at what happened in the period of time in the 60s when God was taken out of the schools through prayer and the commandments and these things uh, in the school system. No Bible reading. At that time, if you asked a teacher what the greatest problem in the school was, it was gum under chairs. But if you ask that teacher today, that teacher will tell you that they are afraid for their life. They're afraid of an active shooter. We have replaced a, mor a morality rooted in the heart of man with metal detectors, uh, uh, back, bulletproof backpacks, and police forces on our schools. Now listen, I'm grateful to have those in our school because of our crazy society today, but I'm telling you there is a better way if we'll turn our hearts to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus said this in John 17, your word, talking about the Bible, your word is truth. 
And it is the privilege of the church to proclaim it, not as, not as know-it-alls, not as arrogant, not as looking down on people self-righteously, but as people who have simply found a good bakery where there's good bread to give to somebody that's hungry. Are you with me today? To share with people what we have. John 8, 32, Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. How many can say I found that freedom in Christ? Wave your hand at me real high today. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Let me give you the second thing. Jesus and his church offer hope in troubled times. Now, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't really have any problems. I'm, I'm healthy. I'm money. I've got money. Uh, I've got a career. Uh, I have a measure of power. Life is good for me. You're making it. But sooner or later, you will find something in life that's bigger than you. You will one day go in the doctor, and the doctor will feel something. The doctor will express concern, and he'll ask for surgery. You will one day be laid off at your work, or your company will go bankrupt. Something will happen. The psalmist says this in Psalm 33, The Lord looks after those who fear him, those who put their hope in his love. You see, the God of the Bible is the all-powerful God, but he's also all-loving, and he's also all-knowing, and he's also all-caring. And he looks down on us in our weakness. When we come to him with humility and contrition, this same God looks at us in the middle of our struggles and problems, and he gives us hope that somebody can pull me out of the ditch. He saves them from death. He spares their lives in times of hunger. Our hope is in the Lord. He's our help, our shield to protect us. Now listen, by definition, hope is simply an expectation that something good will happen. That's why people cross their fingers. That's why they knock on wood. It does nothing but hurt your knuckles. But when you put your hope in God, you go to work and then you find out that you lose your job. You're a single mom. You don't know where to turn. You don't have family to help you. You're just doing your best that you can to survive. And your daughter's coming home every day to say, Mom, I need the money for the, for the, for the cheer outfit. Where, where do you turn? I'll tell you, friends, you can turn to God at any moment, at any time in your life. I'm telling you that you can find a confidence if the doctor says hope is that feeling that you have when you, when you take your little baby or your husband or your mother and she goes into the operating room and your eyes leave each other at that last moment. Hope is the belief that mama's going to come out of that operating room and she's going to be okay. You say, well, pastor, what if she dies? If mama was a Christian, she's in the presence of the Lord today. I'm telling you, there's absolutely nothing that can happen that if you, my friend, can face in life that God's hope will not sustain you. It is an anchor in the greatest storm you will face. And it is hope that the, the church offers the world. That no matter what is happening in the world, no matter what is happening in your life, God is there and he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. Because of Adam's sin, trouble may not disappear. But God will give you grace to go through it. Yea, though I go walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is with me. Come on, give him a good, a good hand today. I'll read you another testimony. Uh, these are all from members of our church. We, this is what we did at the Vision Desserts. We just shared dozens of these. Her name is Valerie, and there should be a picture on the screen, but listen to Valerie. Valerie said, I was looking for a ray of hope. I needed stability 
and to leave my old life behind. I wasn't looking for a relationship with God or a church home, but it's exactly what I found. I found women who were willing to love, mentor, teach, and correct me. I made many friends. I, I felt the presence of God in a real way. And now I've got a huge friend and family support network I didn't have anywhere else. I needed the church and I didn't even know it. And she closes this way. I hadn't touched methamphetamine since October 2017. Now, you can't tell me God's not real. You can't tell me that God doesn't give you a power that's bigger than you. See, this is the impact we're talking about. Let me give you a third one. Jesus and his church offer a new beginning for people who need God. It's interesting how God finds us. I was talking to a young lady the other day, and uh, I won't embarrass her, but she, she told me, I said, well, how'd you find the church? She said, it was just kind of weird. She said, it just popped up on Facebook. She said, I wasn't even listening to Christian music. And before I knew it, Facebook started sending me Christian music. And then before I knew it, a link came on there about a church service. And I watched the church service. And then she said, I watched it several weeks. And then I started coming to church. And she said, then I gave my heart to Christ. It's amazing how God finds us. But listen. His church, Jesus, offers new beginning for people who need God. And that new beginning comes in several ways. For some of us, it's a spiritual rebirth. It's called being born again. It's where we meet Christ. I was, how many know being raised in church or going to church is not what makes you a Christian? What makes you a Christian is when you give your heart to Jesus. When you surrender your life to Christ. And listen, you begin to follow him. It's like a gift God gives you, the gift of salvation. You take it. You embrace it in your life, and you begin to follow after him. Jesus called it being born again. And Jesus said, and, and, you can't, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You heard Pastor Travis share earlier during the offering that 300 kids on a Wednesday night. That's incredible. But the most incredible thing was he said they would each give altar calls, as they do every week to kids encouraging kids to make a step closer to Jesus. That's what it's all about. It happens every week here. Other people, for this new beginning, they need forgiveness for past mistakes. Some of us carry our mistakes around in a, a, an invisible suitcase. An invisible backpack is a better word, and it's filled with these heavy rocks of the past. You don't understand, Pastor. I had an abortion. I do understand. I know how heavy that rock is. You don't understand, Pastor, I, I raped somebody. You, you don't understand, Pastor, I, I walked out of my family and left them with nothing. You, you don't understand, Pastor, I, I stole from my mother when she was older. And these weights of unforgiveness just pull us to the ground. Can I tell you the Bible says that God will forgive us? He will empty the backpack. The scripture says, Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness so we might learn to fear you. You say, Pastor, what does that forgiveness mean? The Bible says he separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. Think of math, that line with that little symbol, and infinity, it just keeps on going. He erases my sins. I remember what God forgets. 
Some people t- carry it with them for decades of their lives. I'm here to tell you today, I know a God who can wash your yesterdays away. I know a God that can give you a fresh start, that can give you a new beginning, that no matter who you are, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Come on. You're not who you used to be. You can be somebody new in Christ. And that last thing, as far as a new beginning, many people find that God rebuilds a broken life. Now, you know, the world we live in today is interesting. I don't know if you remember the Marlboro Man. Remember the Marlboro Man, anybody, before he was outlawed on signs for smoking cigarettes? I think he was the Winston Man. And he was cool. He had his horse. And he, was, he had his beard. And he'd get on that horse and that leather would creak. And he had his gun and he had that Winston in his mouth. But nobody told the kid that bought the Winston that one day they'd get lung cancer or throat cancer. Nobody told the kid that it's fun to drink, and you just start drinking, it's not a big deal, and alcohol, nobody told him about an entry drug, he didn't know what that was, all he knew is having fun with his friends, and they're getting high, and before you know it, they're passing around pot, and his mom warned him about it, but he thought, shoot, everybody else is doing it, and he tried that, and he liked that, and before you know it, somebody gave him something called crack or meth, and before you know it, he lost his whole life. Nobody tells you these things when you start, it looks appealing, it looks good, nobody tells you. If you have sex just one time, you can have a baby and get pregnant at 15. What do you do when your life is broken? I'll tell you what a friend of mine did. His name is Clint. Clint goes to our church. Again, all these are shared with permission, and Clint let me share a little bit more. I've known Clint probably 10, maybe 15 years. I watched Clint. He would come in and out of church as a way to try to find God, but the world would pull him back, you see, because Clint was a drug dealer. Clint got arrested in the church parking lot. It was a time in his life, this was a number of years ago, and he was trying to get things right with God, but he just couldn't do it, and he got pulled back in the world every time he'd try to get with God. He couldn't make any money doing anything else, sleeping in his car, got tired of it, and sold another bag. And He did it one time too many, and he pulls in the church parking lot trying to find some help, and detectives are following him, and when I hear the commotion, I go out my office door, and Clint's surrounded by detectives with guns. They tell me to get away. He tells me, Pastor, I'm sorry, and I told him, Clint, I love you. Well, here's Clint's story. My brother and I, my brother was a member of the church, and I just survived one of the worst attempts on my life. In other words, somebody tried to kill him. And I told him when I got around again, in other words, when I could walk again, I'd go thank God at church. I had staples in my head, and I was hobbling around, and we went to church. I had no idea what was in store. Even when my brother, having to help me walk, I was the first person to answer the altar call. I would never be the same. I just couldn't get away from that moment. I learned these people really care. I learned they were just real people that fail and go through things, but they knew something I didn't. They knew who God is, and they loved me with godly, genuine, spiritual love which is something I've never known other than from my mom. I became overwhelmed with the love of God through the church. The unconditional, non-judgmental love from God in this church changed my life. That's the impact that I'm talking about, and that's why we're doing this new beginnings. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. We offer, and I say we collectively, anyone that wants to be a part of our church family, We offer truth to a confused world. I unashamedly stand for the Bible. And there one day may be a price to pay. 
Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I will declare it until the day I die. Jesus said, his word is truth, and I will stand on it. I will endeavor to live it, and I will proclaim it to the you until the day I die. This church believes, friend, in the truth of the word of God. This church is a place of hope. This church is a place of hope that no matter where you are. I know people today that are facing a potential jail sentence, but in the middle of that, God is still in the middle of it. How many know we may have consequences for our sins or our crimes, but that doesn't mean God disappears. It doesn't mean God is negated. You can still walk with God through your darkest valleys. You'll always hear it here. You'll always experience it around these altars in prayer. And the last thing, as I shared, that we offer today, friends, we offer people, a, a, we, we, let me say it this way, we point them to the Christ of the cross who offers a new beginning, a Christ who offers salvation, a Christ who offers forgiveness, and a Christ who offers the pathway to rebuild a broken life. And that's why, that's who Church on the Rock is, and that's where we're going in the future. And I'm thrilled that you're going with me. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Here's how we're going to close today. I'm going to show you a video of our youth pastor. His name is Cole Yeldell. For those of you that don't know him, his brother Zach is our worship leader. And both these kids went to Redwater High School, and uh, both of them got saved through this church and the ministry at Powerhouse, and God grew both of them up to be tremendous uh, leaders and pastors in the body of Christ. Well, as you're looking at that video, I'm going to ask you that are uh, feel of the leading of the Lord to join me to share and uh, turn in your card, your commitment card that you're making with me for the next three years. If you don't have it or didn't get one, it's in the back of the chair, but the ushers will wait on you from the back coming forwards, and then we'll pray over them, and then we'll have a closing song and prayer. But take a peek at Pastor Cole, and thank you for joining with me and investing in the church's future. I started coming to Church on the Rock in a powerhouse at the end of my seventh grade year. And right before eighth grade started, our youth put on an event called Impact Weekend. And I remember going and being there the first night and Pastor Mike was preaching. This was uh, back in the day when he was still rocking a ponytail. And I remember as he was sharing, for the first time in my life, I could just sense the presence of God. I knew God was there. He was tugging on my heart and that it was time for me to get right with Him. And so when it was uh, time for the altar call, I'm not even sure if Pastor Mike finished the whole altar call yet, but I was down front just ready and desperate for God to, to move in my life. And, and from that moment on, I knew that, that God had transformed me. And you know, every time the, the doors were open in youth group, I was always there trying to be involved, trying to learn, trying to, to grow. I, I was always involved in on-campus ministry, trying to help with small groups and, and things at school to, to reach out to those around me. And, and even when it came time to uh, go to college, I, I felt like I was supposed to stay in Texarkana and, and be involved in the youth ministry. And so uh, we, we helped and I interned and I did whatever Pastor Travis and them needed me to do. And uh, I remember as I was getting ready to graduate college, Pastor Travis and Pastor John came to me and, and, and told me that they thought that I needed to be our next youth pastor. And as soon as they began to talk to me, I just sensed the peace of God and knew that this is what I was supposed to do. And I had no idea that, that God was going to place me over 
the same ministry that he had used to transform my life years before. And so now every single week we get to work with uh, a lot of teenagers that I mean, that are struggling, that are broken, that, that are trying to honor God in, in, a, in a very tough culture. And you know, there's nothing more satisfying and fulfilling than uh, when I see a young person who's been struggling or going through hard times and, and something just finally clicks, where God finally brings breakthrough in their life. And you know, to me, that's what New Beginnings is all about. It's not necessarily about a, a new building, but it's about making more room so God can move in the lives of more people. And you know, I'm so excited about our new facility. I think our, our new youth area is gonna be great. And we're gonna have a, a specific mini sanctuary for our youth to meet in so we don't have to tear down and set up chairs and all these things every week before and after service and small groups like we do now. We're gonna have multiple rooms so we can uh, break our students up for small groups and discussions and, and have that ability that we don't really have in our current facility. I think that it will help us be more effective in ministering the gospel. But to me, New Beginnings is all about seeing God come and transform the hearts of more people, more families, and to me, more young people in our city. Praise the Lord. Give him a hand. I'm going to ask our pastors, any pastors or elders, board members that are here, I want you to come up and, and join me as we pray over commitments that we've made. And again, if you're here and you weren't prepared to make a commitment today, if you believe in the future of this church, take one of these cars home with you in the back of the chair and pray about it and bring it to, bring it to next week. Pastor Travis, why don't you come up and I want you, to, want you to pray. And then in, I think it's two weeks from today, we'll have a celebration and uh, I'll ask you to give a cash offering, whatever commitment you've made, whatever portion of it you can give, and we're putting it all 100% towards our, our, our remodeling at Gander Mountain. Why don't you pray, Pastor Travis? Let's just extend a hand. Lord, we thank you right now for these commitments, God, and the families and the individuals that have made them. God, we recognize them as sacrifices. Lord, this is part of us that's in here right now. And God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity for this new facility, God. We thank you that you've provided it for us. And Lord, right now, we just pray that uh, these commitments, Lord, that they would go forth. And, and God, we thank you that they represent changed lives, Lord. They represent people that are going to come into the kingdom, young and old, Lord. They're going to have a, a saving knowledge of who you are. So Lord, right now, we commit these to you. We ask you, God, that these commitments would be blessed, the families would be blessed, and God, eternity would be changed for people who were uh, touched by this facility in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you, and thank you so much for joining me in this journey. Why don't you stand to your feet, and I want to, we want to close in prayer today. We're going to have a song, and then we'll dismiss. But in just a moment, I'm going to invite our prayer team to the front, and here's what we'd like to offer prayer for today. Maybe you're here today, and you say, Pastor, we, I need a new beginning in my life. See, this series is not just about a building. It's about you and I. And how many know new beginnings come for a number of reasons? M maybe you're here today and, and, and you say, Pastor, when you were talking about committing your life to Christ and how your life started over, that's what I need. Maybe you're here today and, 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 you, and you've tried to find happiness and purpose. You've even tried going to church, but something's missing. Maybe you found, you bought the new car, or you had the right girlfriend, or you bought the nice house, or you got the job or the power, but that didn't do it. You see, there's a God-shaped hole in every human being. God created all of us for relationship with Him. 
Maybe that's your start today. Maybe that's your new beginning. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I made a commitment to Christ when I was younger and I, I just got away from it. And I'm tired of living on the fence. I'm ready to go for God 100%. Let's pray for you today. Maybe the new beginning is in your marriage. Maybe there's just pressures that are growing. Maybe your relationship with your children not where it needs to be. Maybe there's problems at work. I don't know what it may be. But how many know God has the power to help give us a brand new start? God can take us where we are and bring us where he wants us to be. And if any of these things resonate with you, we would be honored to pray with you today. We're going to start this last song. Our prayer team is going to come to the front right now, and they'll be here to pray with you. If you have a need for God, I'm going to encourage you to make your way down here. Before they start singing, let me encourage you today, before you go, stop by those tables out front. Therefore, uh, what we call it our life group launch. But we've got, I think there's probably 75 or 80 different small groups going on. Most of them are Wednesdays, but lots of them are during the week. It's a place where you can find friends. You can't make friends in a big crowd of people like this, but you can make friends in a small group. Stop by those tables out front. And next week, I'm going to share a sermon with you I've never preached about, but it's something the world talks a lot about, equality and diversity. And I'm going to talk about it in the church of the house of God. I think it will speak to you in a profound way. Let's go ahead and begin to sing that song. Our prayer team's coming to the front. If you need prayer, you come slip out. We'll pray for you. The biggest prayer is, Pastor, I need to get right with God. We'll see you here. I love you and thanks for coming.